Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to this week's episode of Catholic Light. Can you imagine if someone told you that you had to take a vacation one day every week? So for one 24-hour period, you could not work. You had to simply rest and do some things you enjoy. So that day might include reading the book that's been on your bedside table for the last couple of months. It might be catching up on your favorite show on Netflix, going for a run, hiking in a local park that has some beautiful scenery, flipping through a magazine and cutting out recipes, leisurely gardening for the afternoon. Well, guess what? Imagine no more because someone is telling you that you must take a vacation one day a week and rest by doing those things that you love. Those things that are not on your to-do list, but sadly are the carrot at the end of your to-do list, but are often never reached. So I don't know about you, but I often get in the mode of once I fold the laundry and balance my checkbook, then I can relax and read. Or once I meet that deadline at work, then I'll have more time to work out or cook delicious meals rather than eating on the fly. Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 337 says, God himself created the visible world in all its richness, diversity, and order. Scripture presents the work of the creator symbolically as a succession of six days of divine quote-unquote work concluded by the quote-unquote rest of the seventh day. Paragraphs 345 through 348 go on to say, The Sabbath, the end of the work of the six days. The sacred text says that on the seventh day, God finished his work, which he had done, that the heavens and the earth were finished, and that God rested on this day and sanctified and blessed it. These inspired words are rich and profitable instruction. In creation, God laid a foundation and established laws that remain firm on which the believer can rely with confidence, for they are the sign and pledge of the unshakable faithfulness of God's covenant. For his part, man must remain faithful to this foundation and respect the laws which the Creator has written into it. Creation was fashioned with a view to the Sabbath and therefore for the worship and adoration of God. Worship is inscribed in the order of creation. As the rule of St. Benedict says, nothing should take precedence over the work of God, that is, solemn worship. This indicates the right order of human concerns. And finally, the Sabbath is at the heart of Israel's law. To keep the commandments is to correspond to the wisdom and the will of God as expressed in his work of creation. As we've been saying each week, God didn't need to create. God doesn't need to be in relationship with us. He doesn't need us to worship him, pray to him, keep his commandments, go to his sacraments. God doesn't need our money, as we discussed last week with tithing. And God doesn't need us to rest, as though we're wearing him out and he's like, take a break, kids, because God, your father, needs a break. As though he's reclining on the couch with his eyes closed, one hand over his forehead. Can you tell I might be speaking a little bit from experience? Uh, we are blessed with very spirited children with lots of energy. Periodically, I'll tell them, why don't you guys go ride bikes out front? Or why don't you go do a puzzle in the basement? 
sometimes I'll reach the point in the day where I can't take one more. Hey, mommy, guess what? Hey, mommy, watch this. How does, you know, so-and-so happen? Where does blah, blah, blah go? What are we doing tomorrow? So at some point, uh, on some days, I'll say, from this point on, all questions and comments will now be fielded by daddy. So for Mother's Day, my husband got me a shirt that simply says, go ask your dad. God is not like this. Okay, he commands us to keep holy the Sabbath, to rest, because it's good for us. We were made not to be constantly working, constantly checking things off our to-do list, constantly meeting deadlines. And so in resting, we'll be happy. God gives us manuals to go with our humanity, like Hewlett Packard provides a manual to go with the printer, and one of humanity's manuals says, rests. If we don't follow that direction, our humanity won't fully work. It's hard because we live in an age that values productivity, efficiency, and working inhumane hours. Um, My sister works for one of the big four accounting firms, and she says that periodically she'll hear colleagues say, like, oh, I only slept four hours, or I don't remember the last weekend I didn't work. I hit 100 hours this week, as though these are things to be proud of, to brag about, to show that, you know, they're, they're actualizing their humanity. She'll say, you know what, that's an indication that something's wrong. Okay, that's not something to be proud of. That's, that's not winning in life. It's also hard because there's always a lot to do. No matter the circumstances of one's life, everyone has a full plate in this fast-paced age. I recently learned a phrase called destination addiction. So uh, a group of women and I participated in a a women's small faith group study where we used formed.org's program called The Search, hosted by Chris Stefanik. And in one of the episodes, he talked about this concept of destination addiction. I had never heard the phrase, but it certainly resonated with my approach to life. So destination addiction is that mindset of when I dot, 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 then I'll be happy. So when I hit this salary, then I can kick back and relax a little bit more. Or when I get this job, I will be more satisfied. When I you know, have this relationship in my life, then I'll be fulfilled. I certainly struggle with this concept. Mine is associated more with the mundane tasks of life. So once I fold the laundry, finish the dishes, then I can dot, dot, dot. Or, you know, once I get the downstairs repainted and our bathroom renovated, then our house will be set. We can really settle in and relax. Or one of the uh, items on my to-do list is to get a backdoor slider So right now we have this door that opens out into the backyard and oftentimes the kids are running out um, and it kind of like clangs against uh, the other side of the door. So I think like, oh, if we get a backdoor slider, they can just simply open it, run out, you know, it'll be more calm and peaceful and quiet. So once I get a backdoor slider, then we'll really be set. (laughs) Jesus is like, really, Becca? I suffered and died for this. Sometimes it's noble causes uh, that are the, the goal in our destination addiction. So once I help my kids get to X, Y, and Z point, then you know they'll be more peaceful, I'll be more peaceful. Or 
once I expand this ministry at my church to X number of people, then, you know, we'll really be rocking and rolling. It might be goals of, of striving for virtue. If I could just gossip less, then I'll dot, dot, dot. If I could just talk less, or if I could just speak up more, if I could just pray more. As we read last week from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we're made by God in a way that invites us on a journey to perfection and fulfillment. So God could have made us instantly as non-gossipers, superstar prayers, excellent laundry folders, and living room painters from day one, but he doesn't. He respects our free will, and he invites us to participate in this journey in a beautiful, dignified way, to figure it out along the way with him, to allow him to show us step by step how to let go of the things that are not important and embrace more the things that are important. One of the ways we can do this is by keeping holy the Sabbath. God invites, commands us to keep holy the Sabbath because we're made for more than servile work. We, as Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 362 through 364 discuss, our body and soul. Paragraph 362 says, The human person, created in the image of God, is a being at once corporeal and spiritual. The biblical account expresses this reality in symbolic language when it affirms that then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Man, whole and entire, is therefore willed by God. In sacred scripture, the term soul often refers to human life or the entire human person. But soul also refers to the innermost aspect of man, that which is of greatest value in him, that by which he is most especially in God's image. Soul signifies the spiritual principle in man. The human body shares in the dignity of the image of God. It is a human body precisely because it is animated by a spiritual soul, and it is the whole human person that is intended to become, in the body of Christ, a temple of the Spirit. Man, though made of body and soul, is a unity. Through his very bodily condition, he sums up in himself the elements of the material world. Through him, they are thus brought to their highest perfection and can raise their voice in praise freely given to the Creator. For this reason, man may not despise his bodily life. Rather, he is obliged to regard his body as good and to hold it in honor since God has created it and will raise it up on the last day. So it is good to work. And it is good to rest. That Sabbath rest will look different for everyone. So after going to Mass, either Saturday evening or Sunday morning, you might again relax and read or watch a show or go for a run or visit with family, friends, neighbors. It's putting aside the to-do list and going right for the carrot at the end of the to-do list. Growing up, Uh, We went to Mass every weekend, and we were not allowed to work on Sundays. So God bless the places of employment that employed myself and my siblings. So I worked at The Gap my junior into senior year of of high school. My sister worked at Starbucks. My brothers worked at Tre Fratelli Italian Restaurant, you know, locally. And each of those establishments, when we applied to work there and said, you know, we would love to work for you, but we will never be able to work on Sundays. Each of those places honored 
that commitment. And they employed us the other days of the week. When I went to Franciscan then, I really learned this lesson that my parents had, had instituted in each of us. I remember this one anecdote my, my freshman year where I was on my way to the library on a Sunday and I ran into a, a, a new friend who said, hey, where are you going? I said, oh, I'm going to, I think it was around midterm season. I said, you know, I'm going to the library to study for a couple exams, write a couple papers. And she said, oh, but it's Sunday. I said, I know, but I have midterms and papers due. She goes, but it's Sunday. Hmm. I was like, yes, but I must get these things done because they're very important. And if I don't, da, 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 da. So she, she very gently, very, very charitably challenged me to just try to keep holy the Sabbath, to put aside Sunday, not work, which at that stage of life, was studying for exams, writing papers, preparing for classes, to put aside one day a week not to do that and to rest, to enjoy, to again engage in some of those other activities that are often pushed to the edges because quite frankly there's always stuff to do. That to-do list never runs out. It was much like uh, my, my priest friend I had mentioned in an earlier episode who said, if you're ever wondering about one of the teachings of the Catholic faith, just put it into practice and see how it works out for you. So she said, just try it. See how it works out for you. So in that moment, I think I was so committed to studying, writing. I was like, okay, thanks. I still went to the library that day. But I, I committed quietly in my heart to give it a try the next week. So I decided that starting in the evening around dinner time on Saturday, I would put aside my work, my to-do list, and I would rest through Sunday evening, the following day. So I did this for two reasons. One, it was a cool kind of hearkening back to our, our Jewish roots where at sundown, on, I believe they do sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. They keep holy the Sabbath. Um, so it was a nod to our, our big brothers and sisters and the, the faith of Judaism. And then secondly, on a practical level, oftentimes, you know, things will come up um, the night before classes begin on Monday. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to put things aside Saturday evening and I won't pick them up again till Sunday evening. Well, I think God was, was making it abundantly clear to me, really trying to prove the point to me so that he would just hook me. And uh, I really would commit to this. So I kid you not, once I did this the following week, I put down my, my homework, my schoolwork, my other commitments um, for 24 hours and rested. The following week, somehow, mysteriously, beautifully, God multiplied my time. So I somehow got all my homework done, all my papers written. I studied well. I did well on my tests. I was like, wow, thanks, Jesus. Let's give this a try uh, next week. So the following week, again, I put everything down Saturday evening. Didn't pick it up again until Sunday evening. And again, God just multiplied and blessed my time that week. It's interesting um, what I found growing up and then in college and you know into my adult years is that oftentimes we'll say, you know what, I'm just going to wake up, 
Sunday morning, just knock out, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Um, and then I can rest the rest of the day. But we wake up Sunday morning, maybe we'll go to church, maybe we'll have a breakfast afterwards. There's other things that kind of happen throughout the day. And then we don't end up getting to those tasks until Sunday evening anyway. But because I don't commit to resting on Sunday and I'm thinking about that to-do list, I'm stressed. It's in the back of my mind and I'm not thoroughly enjoying. So why not just set it aside, rest, and then pick up the tasks Sunday evening when I would normally get to them anyway. So since God made that, that lesson to me just very simply clear, uh, I've been trying to implement it and trying to honor that ever since. I still am tempted to quote unquote take off a week or just you know squeeze in one little thing because this is really important. Let's just get it done this week and then I'll rest next week. When we hear temptation, we often think of the big sins of lust, anger, sloth. But it's a temptation not to keep the third commandment. The third commandment is just as important as the other nine. So just as important as thou shalt not lust, um, you know, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife is keep holy the Sabbath. So this week I'm going to issue you the Sabbath challenge. Here we are, Monday morning, top of the week. I challenge you, I invite you to prepare this week to keep holy the Sabbath and put aside work and truly rest, whatever that looks like for you. And take time to worship God, to thank him for the hands to work and the breath to live another day. And watch the wonders unfold. When we give God a little, he gives it all back to us and more. And remember, he doesn't need us to keep holy the Sabbath. He doesn't need us to worship him. This is all for us and our happiness. Of course, there are certain professions that require adjusting our Sabbath timeline. So you might be a police officer, a labor and delivery nurse, or a priest who cannot take off on Sundays. So I invite you to prayerfully figure out another day to do this. So you might do it Friday evening to Saturday evening. You might do it Tuesday evening to Wednesday evening and still, you know, go to Mass Saturday evening, Sunday morning. But take that day of rest another day of the week if your profession or your life circumstances don't allow for that on Sunday. Year after year, I issued this Sabbath challenge to my students and their, their key takeaway was always, yay, no homework. Their thought process was, okay, I do my homework on Sundays. My theology teacher is telling me not to work on Sundays. Therefore, no more homework. I was like, eh, guys, that's not exactly what I'm telling you. One year I had the, the Spanish teacher, you know, stomp down to my room and say, uh, I hear you're telling my students it's now a sin to study for their Spanish exams. I was like, no, we need to get our work done. But in six days and then set aside the seventh day for rest. So if we're, if we're honest in the depths of our hearts with ourselves, we really can get that work done the other six days of the week. And I speak, you know, for myself first. Um, there are so many tasks that really don't need to be done um, or can be done in a different way or at a different time so that we can truly rest on that seventh day. 
The truth is there will always be more to do. So a dear friend said growing up, you know what, I'll sleep when I'm dead. We'll just keep squeezing it in now, you know, work, 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 and then when I'm dead, I can sleep for eternity. I also had a a theology professor in college who said, we'll stop struggling with our sin and be quote unquote set 15 minutes after we're dead. So this will be a struggle. Uh, The nature of of humanity living in a fallen world is that there's always something to do and we'll always struggle. But by the grace of God, we can carve out that time to keep holy the Sabbath, to rest, to take that quote-unquote vacation one day a week now, to rest our bodies, our souls, so that we can be happy not just when we're dead, but even now. We'll take a brief break, and then we'll return in the second half of the episode to read today's selection from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 337 through 373. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in a moment. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read our selection for the week, paragraphs 337 through 373. The Visible World God himself created the visible world in all its richness, diversity, and order. Scripture presents the work of the Creator symbolically as a succession of six days of divine work, concluded by the rest of the seventh day. On the subject of creation, the sacred text teaches the truths revealed by God for our salvation, permitting us to recognize the inner nature, the value, and the ordering of the whole of creation to the praise of God. Nothing exists that does not owe its existence to God the Creator. The world began when God's Word drew it out of nothingness. All existent beings, all of nature, and all of human history are rooted in this primordial event, the very genesis by which the world was constituted and time begun. Each creature possesses its own particular goodness and perfection. For each one of the works of the six days, it is said, and God saw that it was good. By the very nature of creation, material being is endowed with its own stability truth and excellence, its own order and laws. Each of the various creatures, willed in its own being, reflects in its own way a ray of God's infinite wisdom and goodness. Man must therefore respect the particular goodness of every creature, to avoid any disordered use of things which would be in contempt of the Creator and would bring disastrous consequences for human beings and their environment. God wills the interdependence of creatures. The sun and the moon, the cedar and the little flower, the eagle and the sparrow, the spectacle of their countless diversities and inequalities tells us that no creature is self-sufficient. Creatures exist only in dependence on each other, to complete each other, in the service of each other. The beauty of the universe. The order and harmony of the created world results from the diversity of beings and from the relationships which exist among them. Man discovers them progressively as the laws of nature. They call forth the admiration of scholars. The beauty of creation reflects the infinite beauty of the creator and ought to inspire the respect and submission of man's intellect and will. 
The hierarchy of creatures is expressed by the order of the six days from the less perfect to the more perfect. God loves all his creatures and takes care of each one, even the sparrow. Nevertheless, Jesus said, you are of more value than many sparrows. Or again, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? Man is the summit of the creator's work. As the inspired account expresses by clearly distinguishing the creation of man from that of the other creatures. There is a solidarity among all creatures arising from the fact that all have the same creator and all are ordered to his glory. May you be praised, O Lord, in all your creatures, especially Brother Son, by whom you give us light for the day. He is beautiful, radiating great splendor, and offering us a symbol of you, the Most High. May you be praised, my Lord, for Sister Water, who is very useful and humble, precious and chaste. May you be praised, my Lord, for Sister Earth, our mother who bears and feeds us and produces the variety of fruits and dappled flowers and grasses. Praise and bless, my Lord. Give thanks and serve him in all humility. That was from St. Francis of Assisi's Canticle of the Creatures. The Sabbath, the end of the work of the six days. The sacred text says that on the seventh day, God finished his work, which he had done, that the heavens and the earth were finished, and that God rested on this day and sanctified and blessed it. These inspired words are rich in profitable instruction. In creation, God laid a foundation and established laws that remain firm, on which the believer can rely with confidence, for they are the sign and pledge of the unshakable faithfulness of God's covenant. For his part, man must remain faithful to this foundation and respect the laws which the Creator has written into it. Creation was fashioned with a view to the Sabbath and therefore for the worship and adoration of God. Worship is inscribed in the order of creation. As the rule of St. Benedict says, nothing should take precedence over the work of God, that is, solemn worship. This indicates the right order of human concerns. The Sabbath is at the heart of Israel's law. To keep the commandments is to correspond to the wisdom and the will of God as expressed in his work of creation. The eighth day. But for us, a new day has dawned, the day of Christ's resurrection. The seventh day completes the first creation. The eighth day begins the new creation. Thus, the work of creation culminates in the greater work of redemption. The first creation finds its meaning and its summit in the new creation in Christ the splendor of which surpasses that of the first creation. In brief, angels are spiritual creatures who glorify God without ceasing and who serve his saving plans for other creatures. The angels work together for the benefit of us all. The angels surround Christ their Lord. They serve him especially in the accomplishment of his saving mission to men. The church venerates the angels who help her on her earthly pilgrimage and protect every human being. God willed the diversity of his creatures and their own particular goodness, their interdependence, and their order. He destined all material creatures for the good of the human race. Man, and through him all creation, is destined for the glory of God. Respect for laws inscribed in creation and the relations which derive from the nature of things is a principle of wisdom and a foundation for morality. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Man occupies a unique place in creation. First, he is in the image of God. Second, in his own nature, he unites the spiritual and material worlds. Third, he has created male and female. 
Four, God established him in his friendship. In the image of God, of all visible creatures, only man is able to know and love his creator. He is the only creature on earth that God has willed for its own sake, and he alone is called to share by knowledge and love in God's own life. It was for this end that he was created, and this is the fundamental reason for his dignity. What made you establish man in so great a dignity? Certainly the incalculable love by which you have looked on your creature in yourself. You are taken with love for her, for by love indeed you created her. By love you have given her a being capable of tasting your eternal good. Being in the image of God, the human individual possesses the dignity of a person who is not just something, but someone. He is capable of self-knowledge, of self-possession, and of freely giving himself and entering into communion with other persons. And he is called by grace to a covenant with his creator, to offer him a response of faith and love that no other creature can give in his stead. God created everything for man, but man in turn was created to serve and love God and to offer all creation back to him. What is it that is about to be created that enjoys such honor? It is man, that great and wonderful living creature, more precious in the eyes of God than all other creatures. For him, the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all the rest of creation exist. God attached so much importance to his salvation that he did not spare his own son for the sake of man. Nor does he ever cease to work, trying every possible means, until he has raised man up to himself and made him sit at his right hand. In reality, it is only in the mystery of the word made flesh that the mystery of man truly becomes clear. St. Paul tells us that the human race takes its origin from two men, Adam and Christ. The first man, Adam, he says, became a living soul. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The first Adam was made by the last Adam, from whom he also received his soul to give him life. The second Adam stamped his image on the first Adam when he created him. That is why he took on himself the role and the name of the first Adam, in order that he might not lose what he had made in his own image. The first Adam, the last Adam. The first had a beginning, the last knows no end. The last Adam is indeed the first, as he himself says, I am the first and the last. Because of its common origin, the human race forms a unity, for from one ancestor God made all nations to inhabit the whole earth. A wondrous vision, which makes us contemplate the human race in the unity of its origin in God. In the unity of its nature, composed equally in all men of a material body and a spiritual soul. In the unity of its immediate end and its mission in the world. In the unity of its dwelling, the earth, whose benefits all men, by right of nature, may use to sustain and develop life. In the unity of its supernatural end, God himself to whom all ought to tend, in the unity of the means for attaining this end, in the unity of the redemption wrought by Christ for all. This law of human solidarity and charity, without excluding the rich variety of persons, cultures, and peoples, assures us that all men are truly brethren, body and soul, but truly one. The human person created in the image of God is a being at once corporeal and spiritual, the biblical account expresses this reality in symbolic language when it affirms that then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. 
Man whole and entire is therefore willed by God. In sacred scripture, the term soul often refers to human life or the entire human person. But soul also refers to the innermost aspect of man, that which is of greatest value in him, that by which he is most especially in God's image. Soul signifies the spiritual principle in man. The human body shares in the dignity of the image of God. It is a human body precisely because it is animated by a spiritual soul, and it is the whole human person that is intended to become in the body of Christ a temple of the Spirit. Man, though made of body and soul, is a unity. Through his very bodily condition, he sums up in himself the elements of the material world. Through him, they are thus brought to their highest perfection and can raise their voice in praise freely given to the Creator. For this reason, man may not despise his bodily life. Rather, he is obliged to regard his body as good and to hold it in honor since God has created it and will raise it up on the last day. The unity of soul and body is so profound that one has to consider the soul to be the form of the body. It is because of its spiritual soul that the body made of matter becomes a living human body. Spirit and matter in man are not two natures united, but rather their union forms a single nature. The church teaches that every spiritual soul is created immediately by God. It is not produced by the parents, and also that it is mortal. It does not perish when it separates from the body at death, and it will be reunited with the body at the final resurrection. Sometimes the soul is distinguished from the spirit. St. Paul, for instance, prays that God may sanctify his people wholly, with spirit and soul and body, kept sound and blameless at the Lord's coming. The church teaches that this distinction does not introduce a duality into the soul. Spirit signifies that from creation, man is ordered to a supernatural end and that his soul can gratuitously be raised beyond all it deserves to communion with God. The spiritual tradition of the church also emphasizes the heart, in the biblical sense of the depths of one's being, where the person decides for or against God. Male and female, he created them. Equality and difference willed by God. Man and woman have been created, which is to say, willed by God. On the one hand, in perfect equality as human persons. On the other, in their respective beings as man and woman. Being man or being woman is a reality which is good and willed by God. Man and woman possess an inalienable dignity which comes to them immediately from God their creator. Man and woman are both with one and the same dignity in the image of God. In their being man and being woman, they reflect the creator's wisdom and goodness. In no way is, God's, is God in man's image. He is neither man nor woman. God is pure spirit in which there is no place for the difference between the sexes. But the respective perfections of man and woman reflect something of the infinite perfection of God those of a mother, and those of a father and husband. Each for the other, a unity in two. God created man and woman together and willed each for the other. The word of God gives us to understand this through various features of the sacred text. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. None of the animals can be man's partner. The woman God fashions from the man's rib and brings to him elicits on the man's part a cry of wonder an exclamation of love and communion. This, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Man discovers woman as another I, sharing the same humanity.
Man and woman were made for each other, not that God left them half-made and incomplete. He created them to be a communion of persons in which each can be helpmate to the other, for they are equal as persons, bone of my bones, and complementary as masculine and feminine. In marriage, God unites them in such a way that by forming one flesh, they can transmit human life, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. By transmitting human life to their descendants, man and woman as spouses and parents cooperate in a unique way in the Creator's work. In God's plan, man and woman have the vocation of subduing the earth as stewards of God. This sovereignty is not to be an arbitrary and destructive domination. God calls man and woman, made in the image of the Creator who loves everything that exists, to share in His providence toward other creatures. Hence, their responsibility for the world God has entrusted to them. This brings us to the end of our reading selection for today. Thanks so much for joining me this week for another installment of Catholic Light. We'll continue each week shedding a little light while keeping the conversation light. Please connect with me during the week on Instagram at Catholic Light Podcast and share this with your family and friends. Please pray for me and my family as I'll be praying for you and yours. And next week we'll actually take a break. I am very blessed to be traveling with my dear friend uh, to go visit my brother who's currently studying in Europe. So we'll take a trip this week and we'll resume Catholic Light two weeks from now. So we'll pick up with our reading selections and discussion of the catechism two weeks from today's episode. So thanks again for joining me. And I'll see you in two weeks. In the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.